Hello. Hey. People. Welcome to this week's episode of the 13th Floor. I am Cece. I'm Alex. I'm James. And today we're talking about unencountered tribes, a.k.a. uncontacted tribes. Yeah. Yeah. Those are tribes that we've probably actually talked to. You can't unencounter a tribe. I was kind of thinking about it. Yeah. So you can. I mean, you can, I guess, if you'd rewrite history. Then, as far as anyone knows. Yeah, no. These are just tribes that we kind of know are out there, but we don't really have much communication with. Right. Very interesting stuff. Yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff. James, how have you been? I've been good. How about you guys? Party animals over here. Mm-hmm. I've been going to sleep at like 8 o'clock every night. So I've been going to sleep early lately, too. Oh, that's good to hear, James, because I know that you usually have insomnia. Yeah. Yeah? Has what? it has it been nice sleeping like a, an er, early bird? It has. It's quite, quite enjoyable. Turns wow. out also coffee really early actually helps. Coffee really early helps. Like it helps get you tired by the end of the day or something? Or yeah. What? Yeah. And uh, uh. biologically, it kind of makes sense because coffee suppresses uh, – well, it doesn't suppress, it blocks adenosine, but it doesn't suppress the formation of it. So it just keeps building up and adenosine signals to the body that, you know, you're sleepy. Oh, interesting. There yeah. you go. So you, so coffee makes you crash. Later, it does, yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm, going to get a, get, get um old. Alex only drinks coffee really when we travel. Yeah, I, I've quit drinking coffee at work because I noticed it, it makes me like impossible to focus. I gotcha. Uh, um, but I did notice it definitely keeps me awake and focused on the road when I'm driving. So I can drink it like on a road trip. And it's, like, I perfect. see. Okay, I gotcha. Better than an energy drink. Like an energy drink? Like I've terrible. literally never drank a full energy drink. I've, I've had a sip of one and I was like, this is revolting. What kind of masochist drinks this? And that was the end of it. Well, there's different flavors, and they've gotten better over time. But I usually feel pretty not great after I drink one, Those so I don't are drink them. Terrible for you. Yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. Some claim to be healthy, but I'm like, how is that possibly healthy for you? I don't yeah. understand it. Someone explain to me how a bang energy drink is good for you. <laughs> Send me the science. I don't believe it. Yeah. Um, Rhythmia and- is healthy. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I don't, I don't buy the whole energy drink yeah. thing. I'm a water and green tea kind of a girl. That's all I really drink. Yeah. And I don't regret it. Although I do miss, I, I do miss my occasional vanilla latte. Mm. So I'm not allowed to drink coffee right now, unfortunately. That's yeah. all I want though. But mm. <sighs> yeah, if you drink coffee at this stage of your pregnancy, the, the, the baby just bursts out of your tummy like the alien movie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's mortifying. Uh, <laughs> I caramba. Just saying. I think that's science fact. All right. I think, James, do we have an icebreaker today? Um, I got one, yeah. Um, okay. So we're, we're talking about uncontacted tribes. So I got to thinking, if you had to live in a pre-industrial society, what continent or region would you prefer to live on? Mm. In other words, if you had to be in a tribe, what kind of tribe? In other words, 
like South America, Europe, Australia, Africa, Asia, North America. Pre-industrial. Now, when you say pre-industrial, are you saying to like... Throw, shooting what? bows and arrows at megafauna. <laughs> what about blunderbusses? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, if I had to do that, then I would probably pick... I'd probably pick somewhere in Europe. I love how you're so averse to anything primitive that your immediate way of coping was to try and suggest like 19th century Germany. Yeah. Yes. That was, that, that was the idea. Yeah. Was to suggest something like that. But um, yeah, so I'm going to go with, I'll go with, oh, there's the child's yeah, yelling. I was about to say, oh, you're my answer real quick. <laughs> it's a little guest cam- a little cameo by Glenn on this episode. <laughs> um, um, hang on, real quick. Okay. Uh, I would pick Europe just because I'm not actually completely familiar with what was going on in Europe in this time. Uh, I've, I assume a lot of disease, but like I know North America, there's lots of war. I mean, it's lots of war at this time period anyway, right? I don't know of, where you're getting any of this. Lots of infighting with tribes. Um, and then I don't want to be sacrificed as, as, by the uh, Incans and the Mayas. Sure. I got yeah. you. So, so I'm not about the sacrifice life. So if I can find a place where I'm not sacrificing or eating people, I think I'll be happy. <laughs> Good deal. Wow. Can't argue with that logic. Um, my brain immediately went to Europe too. Wow. Well, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what they're doing. Like, what are they <laughs> <laughs> what did they do? I, I, mean, I guess they were shooting bows and arrows too, but on horseback, yeah. and then they would run down to Egypt a little bit, maybe. I, Ooh, Roman Empire? I, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I am also picking Europe because I like the cold. That That's my reason. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. You can eat meat there because you can just bury it underground. It's nice and cold. That's that's actually true. That's the first thing you said. <laughs> it's historically <laughs> accurate. See? There you go. I know my history. Mm. Yeah, good deal. Well, Alex, you've you've gotten your history lesson in for the day. No, I gave everybody else their history lesson. All right. Well, I think that it's... Don't fact check any of it. <laughs> I think that, Alex, I think that the reason that you were so historically off was because you weren't going back far enough in time. Maybe. Yeah, I can't figure out where, where I'm actually supposed to go to. But I'm going to pick Europe because it's cold, and I like the cold. Me too. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I associate hotter climates with, like, disease. I do too. Because all the mosquitoes yeah, and mosquitoes. stuff. So, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. See, me and James, we're on the same wavelength. So you guys are both just If like... I could be cold, but not too cold, yeah, that'd be good. You yep. just need a pelt, a nice little for me, it's all about sleeping cold. Like that's yeah. that's the kicker. If if the day is warm, that's fine. But at night, uh, it's got to be a little chilly. And just have less bugs up there in general. Mm-hmm. James likes bugs, mm. though. Yeah. Oh, James. Yeah, you might be more. You should go to Australia. <laughs> I like bugs, but not that much. <laughs> I don't want to get soul kissed by one in the middle of the night. Oh. <laughs> well. You know what? I think it's time to hop into our topic. Let's do it. Okay, and I'm going to start us off today. Kick it off. Yeah, I'm going to start us off. Let me pull up my notes. She's doing the initial kickoff. 
She's the kicker on the Super Bowl. Mm. And um, I never the most. Uh, yeah, well, you start the game off, you're underappreciated, but without you, no team would ever win a game. There you go. Exactly, exactly. And that's what I'm here to do today, <laughs> talk about uncontacted tribes. And the thing that I found so interesting about this topic is just like, cause technically, the person who submitted this topic into the vase, who did it anonymously, wanted us to talk about unencountered tribes. But again, there's no way of un- unencountering a tribe. You know what would so be freaky? If what? Uh, the person who submitted it, submitted it through a carrier pigeon from an unencountered location. That would be oh. insane, and we'd never know. Or if they said they're if they said they were anonymous, what if it was actually the? What was that, James? Uh, what was that? Something fell over. I don't know. In another room, J- James. Do you, do you need to inspect your home? Nah. Or are you good? Okay. Now, if we hear, if we just if James just goes silent, we know what happened to him. Nine one one. Yeah. You'll hear a cracking sound. It's my spine. Oh, <laughs> All right. What were you saying, Alex? Uh, I was going to make a joke. I can't remember what it was. All right. It's out of his brain now. Yep. So, um, no. They think that there are some 100 uncontacted tribes left in the world. <laughs> so, it's not a lot. It's not a lot of tribes, at least that we're aware of. Most of them are in the Amazon in South America, but there are also some in Asia and India, and I guess India is part of Asia. There's but a few there. There are some some other places, but the most common, most of them are in the Amazon. Okay. I got most of my information today from survivalinternational.org, which is actually this really cool little nonprofit organization that's like devoted to helping indigenous tribes survive and not be bothered by people. So I thought that was really cool. And they had a little article just about some of the biggest threats against unencountered or I guess uncontacted tribes. And so I'm just going to talk about some of those today because it's something that I feel like a lot of us don't really think about. Because when I think of uncontacted tribes and the things that they encounter, I always think about it within the historical context of like the 1500s and the 1600s, where it's like we know that the explorers european explorers came over here they brought a whole bunch of disease they started you know were very violent and to me that's like something that happened way back in the day but technically it's still kind of happening now which is something that i never really thought about so i'm going to talk about those things and i'm going to start out with the big one because this one kind of bleeds into all of the other threats to uncontacted tribes first one obviously disease these these tribes have no immunity to things like the chicken pox or the flu respiratory illnesses they just you know they're not in contact with any of that so when they come in contact with a person that is from the outside it's possible that even if that person isn't displaying symptoms they could still get sick it's like the columbian exchange 400 years late yeah exactly and it's it's still happening today um, it happened in the 1980s and the 1990s. There's a tribe in Peru. Um, I, I think it's pronounced Nahua. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, they lost more than half of their people Phew. when outsiders encroached on their land to try to find oil. And it was all from, from illness. Mm. 
And then they didn't have any medical assistance, really. So it was just like, okay, here's a terrible disease. We're out. Peace. And then that's it. So it's still happening today, which just blows my mind. But uh, speaking of medical assistance, something similar happened to another tribe. I think it's pronounced the Zoea in Brazil. Spelled Z-O apostrophe E with a little slash behind. But when Christian missionaries with the new tribe's mission made their way into the forests, they decided they were going to try to help these people bring them to God, you know, think that they're living in these awful conditions when in reality it's how these people want to live. They don't want to be bothered. Mm -hmm. But the missionaries went in and tried to quote unquote save them, but they ended up spreading the flu and respiratory illnesses and all of these people passed away and the missionaries couldn't provide adequate medical attention, so a ton of people died. And in 1991, the government finally kicked all of the missionaries out of the area, but by then it's like there's there's been a lot of damage. But since they've been kicked out, apparently this tribe has been making a comeback population-wise, mm. which I think is awesome. So that's another, another threat to unencountered tribes is missionaries who want to go and I guess mm. want to help, but it's like these people don't, they mean well, but yeah, the consequences have not been no properly calculated. No, <laughs> not at all. So that's been a really big issue. Next is loggers. Hmm. What? Yeah. Loggers. Okay. Um, there's a lot of illegal logging activity. Like I feel like everybody knows that the Amazon is under threat from people going and just, Chopping it down. Hey, bro, you got that cedar? That good stuff? <laughs> no, it's mahogany. <laughs> mahogany is the big one that, that people want. But they'll go in and they'll just chop down these trees, which, number one, ruins the homes of these tribes. Mm. And then, number two, the loggers spread disease. And number three, they're also incredibly violent toward anybody that they come across. So it's like there's a lot of violent scuffles between mm. the indigenous people who live in those areas and then the loggers. And not just loggers, also drug traffickers. Which mm. I feel like everybody knows that they're going to be a little bit violent. But like there have been a whole bunch of coca plantations that they've tried to kind of knock out the land and then, you know, have a coca plantation. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately they're doing it right in these people's homes. And so they're just kind of kicking these people out. And if you cross their path and they don't want you there, they'll attack you. So, yeah. So that's another thing. Lots of conflict. And then the last thing that I'll kind of mention is just roadways. Cause there have been a lot uh. of, roadways that local the, the governments have wanted to put in to help people get from one side of the country to the other a lot faster and it sounds all great and dandy but you're cutting right through these people's territories which is ruining their homes also making food more scarce for them because they you know they rely on hunting and if you're building a plant and taking away these animals homes you're also taking away their their food supply hmm. so roadways have actually been really bad like really bad and they're there uh, the most recent article that i read was from december 2021 about how they're trying to get like roadway construction canceled through 
different areas hmm. because it's possibly going to really mess up the lives and livelihoods of these uncontacted tribes. So there's a lot going on, but again, I think that it's something that a lot of us don't think about because in the, you know, historical perspective, you picture this all happening way back, hmm. you know, hundreds of years ago, not 1990. Yeah. I wonder if genetic diversity is an issue. I would think it would be with these tribes. It's interesting you would say that because it, for most tribes, because they have been around for so long and isolated for so long, a lot of mutations have been permitted to arise. And as a result, there's a tremendous amount of diversity. The problem is that when you do have mass die-offs because of disease or because of deforestation, that's going to have a tremendous negative impact on their biodiversity. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like these smaller tribes that just kind of like sustain their numbers at like relatively the same thing. I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, there's got to be some issues. Yeah, at some point, right? But maybe it may. I don't know. There's, it depends because no one's coming in from outside. Yeah, when people are isolated like that, a lot of times it leads to more mutations. So there can be an advantage to that. Um, it's the reason why you see a lot of biodiversity on islands, for example. Hmm. I just want to know how far back these tribes go. Oh, I mean, we're talking plus 60,000 years, at least 17,000. It just amazes me. Yeah, my, yeah, mine I, is like 50, they think it's 55,000. I just, I, I really admire the the desire to, to live so simply. Yeah, well, it's neat because it's an unbroken chain. Imagine living yeah. exactly as everyone in your family did for 50,000 years. Yeah. That's nuts. Mm. But that's all that I have right now. James, you're going next. I am. And uh, I'm talking about Amazonian tribes, including tribes of the Valle do Javari. And that's the, what we would call the Javari Valley. And it's a huge area. We're talking about like 32, almost 33,000 square miles, um, 85,000 square kilometers for everybody outside of the U.S. and Liberia. Um, so huge. It's, it's bigger than Austria. I mean, it's weird to think about that. There's, there's one place. It's not even where all Amazonian tribes are. It's literally just one place that has about – approximately, we don't really have any way of really knowing. It's not like we have census workers down there or anything, but in the ballpark of 3,000 people in an area the size of flipping Austria. So that's just kind of amazing to consider just in terms of scale. And when I say 3,000 people, I'm not talking about 3,000 people in a singular tribe. There are several. There's the Maddies, the Matsis, the Kalina, uh, several people. And at least 2,000 of them belong to 14 tribes. That's that's bare minimum. And they tend to live in villages that have been identified through aerial photography. So that's how we know about it. And they have been completely uncontacted by human beings for tens of thousands of years until 2009. Uh, so this is, this is nuts. Uh, so, in actuality, I exaggerate a little bit because there are local authorities in neighboring areas of Brazil that the the tribes people are aware of. There's there's a little bit of interaction in that respect, but no cultural 
mixes. But uh, a plane had to emergency land in 2009. And people in the Mattis tribe found nine of the people who survived. There were 11 survivors total, but they found nine of them. So they did what was, it's kind of neat. It was literally like, oh, these are, these are outsiders. Let's go to the, the authorities for the outside people. So they did. They, they let them know, like, hey, something's up. So there was a rescue mission, and, and they were blown out. So it's one of those things where it could have been a disaster in terms of like a, a, a cultural exchange because it could have been terrifying and, and led to a conflict. But in this instance, it was just – it went as smooth as humanly possible, frankly. Hmm. So I think that's neat. And there's actually been uh, attempts to find people in that area uh, by uh, anthropologists and journalists. There was actually in, in 2011, just two years later, Scott Wallace, a writer for Nat Geo, uh, he went for almost 80 days. Um, and, and actually, the, the, the documentary itself was compiled in 2011, but he actually did this in 2002. 80-day um, expedition, and he was looking for the Arrow people. Um, the person who led it was uh, Sidney Pasuelo, who is a very, very notable explorer. He's one of those dudes who I, I urge people to read more on because he has studied indigenous peoples in Brazil at length. And I mean, he is himself Brazilian, but he's not part of the, you know, indigenous peoples, hmm. but really, really cool dude. Who's done a tremendous amount of research. And from what I have seen shows a lot of respect to them. He's, he's made tremendous attempts to protect them from government bureaus and other entities that have encroached upon them. So just a little shout out to Sidney Pozuelo in that respect. So another tribe in the, in a similar area would be the Awa and there's only 350 of them. And what's weird is a hundred of them have never had any contact with anybody externally. And I think that's a really good system where there are some people who do get exposed, but it minimizes cultural exchange to the point that the individual culture gets preserved but in a pinch, something could be done, you know, to to ensure the well-being of these people, you know, because they could communicate, for example, with outsiders. Um, but, yeah, a lot of horrible stuff has also happened uh, to the Awa people because of encroachment. Um, there were actually loggers who burned an eight-year-old Awa girl to death. And they only did this because she she wandered out of her village and they wanted to warn wow. the natives, hey, stay out of our logging camp. That's really where you live. Oh, yeah, just horrible, horrible things like that. And uh, uh, 10 years ago, there was actually a uh, organization called Survival International Human Rights Organization. They've been around since 69, but they've actually launched a really big campaign to protect the Awa specifically. And I think it's kind of neat that Colin Firth is sort of like the mouthpiece for that particular campaign. It's just one of those like weird little bits of trivia that I just find kind of interesting. And there are several other tribes. Um, there's the Kawahiva, the Karubo, the Uru. This is a hard one. Uru Owawao. That's for an English speaker. That's a tough one to say. Um, and all the tribes I mentioned, they live outside of you know, excluding who I mentioned at the beginning of this talk. They live outside of the uh, Javari Valley. But one thing that I find interesting about all these tribes, instead of just analyzing every single one of them individually, 
it, there is some commonalities that we can see. You know, there's a, a language tree, the Tupi Guarani language tree, that's very, very, very common among uh, Amazon tribes. There are other languages, but that's sort of uh, one of the most notable ways etymologically of, of understanding how they split apart from one another and became different tribes. Almost all of them are hunter-gatherers. They absolutely, I mean, I don't think there's any tribes down there that don't make use of poisons on their arrows because there's a lot of flipping poisons available down there. Most of them do make use of entheogens for spiritual purposes, and most of them use guinea papo, which is a black vegetable-based dye that they use to tattoo themselves quite often their faces or in their mouths and so forth. And that's something that you see a lot in media, especially, I think one of the most iconic instances is that that black triangle over the eyes uh, that made mm. out of that very material. And then there's also a lot of common spiritual beliefs. Um, a lot of them believe that there are spirit beings that are everywhere, supai, and they all have souls, just as humans do, called aya, and they all have life force called kosai. Now, they may use slightly different terminology for it, but the idea of animism, which uh, I urge people to become patrons so they can listen to the interview with our sorcerer friend who's an animist. But uh, they they believe in animism, which you know is based on the idea that there are spirits within every natural thing. So stones have spirits and trees have spirits. And, and these things in turn can serve greater spirits or even have a synergy among themselves that create greater spirits as a result. And sometimes they take the form of um, forces of nature. Like, for example, the Quechua, a lot of, the, a lot of Quechua tribes believe in Sunki, who's a, a water spirit, who's the master of all water in the region, things of that nature. So that's just a little backstory on some of the commonalities that we see. And that would definitely be tattooing with a specific plant, uh, animism, entheogens, and a uh, hunter-gatherer lifestyle that makes use of poisons in the case of hunting. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I guess I'm up next. Yeah, you are. All right. And I, I went, oh, James, you okay? Yeah. Okay. I went with one tribe. Focus. I had a focus. <laughs> I went with the Sentinelese. I hope I said it right. Sentinelese. I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah. Sentinelese. All right. So the Sentinelese are considered the world's most isolated and least contacted tribe. And I want to run through their history um, of the tribe that we actually don't know the name of. We've given them that name. We call them that name because of where they live, right? Yes, they live in North Sentinelese Island. North, North Sentinel Island? Yes. Yes, sorry. North Sentinel Island. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, they live in North Sentinel Island, so... That's why we call them that, but we don't actually know what they call themselves. Um, so it's also kind of interesting. I will give a shout out to survivalinternational.org for their article about them. I also want to give a shout out to indiatoday.in about a story that I will go into a little bit later um, that involves this. Um, so in 1771, we actually get the first recorded uh, instance or mark of their existence that's been written down. Um, there's some people on a boat, uh, a part of the East India Company, and they're on the boat and they see a, a bunch of lights on the shore of the island. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and they choose not to investigate. So Probably good 
yeah. on their part. Oh, definitely a good idea. Yeah. Definitely the right idea. Um, <laughs> but um, so they didn't investigate. And then a long time later, 1867, a ship gets wrecked uh and it, it ends up on the shore of this beach for a few days now on the third day the crew including the captain they're all sitting outside eating breakfast when they're suddenly attacked by all these naked islanders that they just did not expect <laughs> i just i just picture you're eating like a a, a breakfast burrito and then suddenly like a spear lands right by your head and you're like oh my god <laughs> that'd be horrifying <laughs> um but and so they see all these um all these tribe members running after them with spears and bow and arrows. Uh, luckily, no one no one dies. They all get away. They actually fight them back with other sticks and rocks. So they're actually able to <laughs> fight their way off the island and get away. They're found out, out in the water by somebody else. <laughs> um, and then in 1880, the Royal Navy is kind of doing what we would expect, right? The, they wanted to establish contact with the Sentinelese. So here they are doing their thing, you know, no, no rock unturned. They had this big team of trackers uh, or of just a bunch of people, but a lot of them were trackers, some taken from some other tribes. And they scoured the island, but they're not able to find anyone until they finally come across two elderly uh, tribes people and a kid. And in the name of experimentation, they decide to take them back to the mainland. The, now, the problem is, and this is kind of like what you mentioned, they ended up getting sick pretty quickly. Yeah. And the two elderly people died. The kid was actually seen to be fine. So their reaction to this is to, let's just go drop them back off on the island. And so they just go back to the island, they drop them off, they give them a bunch of gifts, food and all that type of thing. And they just drive off. They just drive off. <laughs> so, so we don't know what happened to that kid, obviously. No, there's I mean, no way to... the kid is probably fine, honestly, because there's still, there's probably, uh, there's still tribes people there. They just couldn't find them when they went there. Yeah. And the population has grown since then. So obviously there's more people there. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's thought that, this tribe has so much animosity towards people even now because of maybe some of these events that happened back then. They think that maybe when they dropped this kid off, well, he wasn't super sick. Maybe he still had, you know, any viruses or illnesses and he spread them along the tribe and may have decimated the tribe and quite a bit, you know, (laughs) Um, which would, I could see being a, Pretty yeah, put, good point a, of contention. Put a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people mark this moment as a turning point for maybe hostility for them. I say about 20 years ago, they just fired arrows and threw spears at guys that were eating breakfast. So hostility was there before that. <laughs> um, now, in the 1970s, Indian authorities made some occasional trips to the island in an attempt to like befriend the tribe, you know? Let's be friends with our neighbors. So in <laughs> on one of the two trips, they dropped off like two pigs. They're like, hey, here's a meal. And here's a doll. And shortly after dropping all these things off on the shore, the, the tribes people killed the pigs with spears and then buried them along with the doll. They did not want that <laughs> they at did, all. did not want it. <laughs> and they may not have understood what to do with it. They probably didn't want to eat something unfamiliar to them. 
So yeah, that wasn't quite the warm welcome that they were probably hoping for. And this kind of thing continued through the years. And it went through the 80s where interactions uh, ramped up a bit. And they would land. And, you know, they, they would land far enough away where the spears and arrows couldn't hit them. And they would drop off coconuts, bananas, and even like some metals. Um, and which actually what? now, yeah. That's yeah, a very some, bad idea. Okay. Yeah. And some of the metals, they would, it turns out the tribe would actually use some of those metals to tip their spears. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, they broke, they violated yeah. the prime directive here. Holy moly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, the, but the reception of these items was kind of mixed. Uh, sometimes they would seem super appreciative of these things. And other times they'd be pretty mad for some reason, but no, no mm. one could figure out why, what was causing the inconsistency in reception each time. Mm. Um, now, finally, in 1991, there is a breakthrough. The, the Sentinelese put all their weapons down and they approached the ships and they even waded into the water. And they were very friendly. Like they threw coconuts to them and all this stuff. And they were like having fun, picking them up. There's video of it. And it's like, you know, it seems like a pretty happy occasion. But then the next time they show up, they all have their arrows aimed at them when they're dropping these things off. It, there must be some differences between, like, the people in the tribe. Like, some people are probably like, I don't think it's bad. And then you probably got some people who are like, we like, don't it, want. It could even be cultural. It's like, oh, my God, are they showing up on a Wednesday? Like, that, that could be the deal. Maybe they showed up on a holy day. They have, throughout all of this this stuff I'm going to tell you, they have a history of of like almost a bipolar reaction to everything. Mm-hmm. It's very strange. Um, They've got a reason. We just they, don't they know do. what it is. Exactly. They do have a reason, and we just don't get it. But So some people wonder, like, did the gift drop-offs cause an illness? Mm-hmm. I, I, and that hurt the tribe? I kind of doubt it a little bit because... The, all these items were thrown into the water, salt water. Like I don't see uh, any illnesses like transferring between the two of them. Mm. Um, it's not like they like were getting out and shaking hands and that type of thing. Mm. Uh, but you know, if if it did happen and it hurt the tribe, then yeah, they're gonna be mad. Yeah. But no one knows for sure. But then in 1996, all these trips got put to a put to an end. Um, the government's all decided, like, hey, these people are actually pretty healthy. <laughs> Whenever we see them, they look like they're in pretty good condition. We need to just leave them alone because any interaction is bad for them. Yeah. Probably a good idea. Because some people theorize that maybe giving them the coconuts, as long as they did, maybe cause them to have a dependency on the coconuts. Yeah. That are not native to their area. So, hmm. so now they're left alone, except for a couple random encounters. Uh, in 2004, there's a tsunami, and people swung by to see if everything was okay, you know, make sure the population, but they just, the indigenous people were not happy with, mm. with them <laughs> coming to check on them. Now, they said that everybody looked okay afterwards, like they were all their normal selves, so it looked like everything kind of, like they were fine. Um, and then in 2006, they killed two illegal fishermen that were in the area. They were in the area harvesting crabs. Apparently, they set their boat out uh, in the middle of the night, and they kind of, I guess, took a snooze, but their makeshift anchor quit working. Uh, I guess it didn't hit the ground or... Right? And so, their ship drifted over to the shore while all these other fishermen are like, don't go over there. (laughs) Don't go over there. They're all yelling, trying to get them to stop. Well, they got on the shore. 
And tribes people were waiting for him, and they killed him with axes. Yeesh. Yeah. So, allegedly, or, and then one report says that they put their bodies up on bamboo stakes, facing out to the sea like scarecrows. Yikes. Um, and then pretty quickly after that, buried the bodies. Well, Interesting. Don't come over that, here. But, but that moment is, as far as I can tell, maybe pretty unusual, the, the whole staking thing. But, mm. yeah, a little scary. Um, and then the most recent incident was in 2018. I think maybe some people probably, oh, mm-hmm. guest appearance by Louise. Um, I think some people may have heard of this incident. Uh, a 27-year-old American missionary uh, had actually snuck onto the island to preach Christianity. And he actually met with them several times. Some of the things I read, it kind of implied that he only met them once. That's not the case. Oh. He met them several times. Uh, and he would sit and talk with them. They would all laugh. He would sing songs. Some would kind of get angry. Some would be like dying laughing, he said in his journals. Like, like they, but overall, a pretty decent reception until his second to last appearance. He shows back up. You know, he's had these two pretty good showings. And he's got a Bible over his chest. And a, a little boy pulls up back an arrow and fires it at him and hits the Bible. Oh, the wow. Bible blocks the arrow. And if that's not a sign of what to do, I don't know what is. Yep. Well, he decided to go back again the next day. And he wrote he wrote a big thing in his journal. And really, the thing that he wrote was like a last will and testament. It sounded like he knew what was going to happen. But he went back and he was killed uh, with an arrow on on the beach. And the next day, like he, he even laid on the beach. He said he told the fisherman that dropped him off. Don't wait for me. Go ahead and go. Hmm. And then they kill him. And then they, the next, I guess the next day, the fishermen drove by and they saw him, them dragging his body and burying it. But, uh, yeah. Interesting. So that's the last interaction people had. Now there's like, you know, with, between that one and the, uh, the illegal fishermen, there's been questions on whether they should be, certain people should be charged with murder or not. Uh, hmm. they all, everyone settled on no. They they shouldn't be. He even said that if he did die, don't don't be mad at them. He's just doing what he thought he should, hmm. and that type of thing. But um, yeah, wow. pretty interesting. When the, when that when they came to, they tried to collect the bodies of the two guys that got murdered, and then this guy. Um, but the the first time they tried to collect it, the helicopter started to lower, and they all <laughs> they started they all firing came. arrows at it. Yeah. There's actually a picture <laughs> of them getting <laughs> firing the arrow at them. Um, and then, uh, this one, like they, they're not able to collect the bodies. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. wow. Um, I got a surprise extra. So, oh boy. Yeah. Okay. James, go. So you guys may have heard of Nelson Rockefeller. He was uh governor of New York for a time. He was vice president of the United States under Gerald Ford. And he was responsible for the treaty of fifth Avenue, which, caused Richard Nixon to shift the Republican Party platform in 1960 a little bit further left, a little bit more in a moderate position. Very well-known fellow is what I'm saying. But uh, he actually had a son named Michael Rockefeller. And Michael Rockefeller wanted to go on an adventure when he was 23. And he went to New Guinea. And New Guinea is still known for some tribes that practice cannibalism. So he went to a place to study the tribes 
who practiced cannibalism, and he didn't come back. So <laughs> that's uh, that's that's the big thing to take home here. He didn't come back. Now, there's two reasons why I'm talking about this. He went with uh, Rene Wassing. They went in a canoe. They traveled a long, long way. They they examined these tribes. He would write back home uh, talking about these interesting people. He said, uh, I mean, really cool dude. He said, it's a desire to do something adventurous at a time when frontiers and the real sense of the world are disappearing. And he said, you know, when he wrote his family, I'm having a thoroughly exhausting but exciting time here. The Azmat, that's the tribe in question, is like a huge puzzle in the variations of ceremony and art style forming the pieces. My trips are enabling me to comprehend, if only a superficial rudimentary manner, the nature of this puzzle. So really cool dude, right? Uh, again, he did not go back home. Some people thought he was killed by a shark. Some people thought he was killed by a crocodile. Some people thought he was killed by headhunters. But most people think that he was eaten by cannibals in Otsenjep. Now, here's the fun thing, and this is why I'm bringing it up. It's not just neat because he's part of a really, really, really notable, famous family. Included, I mean, he's literally the son of a vice president. What's nuts is that there's a picture that was taken of this tribe long after he was presumed dead. And among them, I, I, should, I should mention that uh, Michael Rockefeller is a white guy with glasses. Looks a little bit like Elvis Costello, in my opinion. Uh and the tribes in Mugini are not. <laughs> they don't look like uh, Elvis Costello. Well, there's a picture of a fellow who looks a little bit like Elvis Costello with those tribes. I mean, naked mm -hmm. with a spear. So my personal belief in light of that evidence is that Michael Rockefeller didn't get eaten. Michael Rockefeller went native. Michael well, Rockefeller lived tribe? in a tribe. How cool is that? Huh. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I had to throw that in there. Wow. That, this was a, a perplexing. <laughs> perplexing. Fascinating mm -hmm. topic. Yeah. Um, and I'll be honest, living in such a big, rich family in, in modern times, I think if that is what happened, he made the right choice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Very interesting. Is uh I don't. Is there anything you guys want to add before we draw from the vase? I think that's it for me. Yep. All right, Alex, do us a favor. Draw from the vase. Draw from the vase. We'll do a one punch. I'm not gonna swirl around. Okay. Oh, hearty hello to Brazil. <laughs> oh yeah, Brazil. Ooh. Oh okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. This this episode next week's gonna give me the heebie-jeebies. Uh, it was recommended to us by Amy, spelled A. I-M-E-E. -E. So, hello, Amy. Thank you for submitting medical mysteries <laughs> into the vase. Oh, boy. The hypochondriac in me is going to have a meltdown. You just mm. have to find a positive one. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to find a positive one. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to survive. And then I'll have to take my headphones out when James does his segment. Mm -hmm. mm. All right, you guys. Next week, we're talking about medical mysteries. Okay. And also, did you know our music is by Grant Cook? You can find us on Amazon Music, iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you listen to music. You guys, I think with that, it's, it's time to hit the road. It's time to say good night or good morning or good afternoon or whenever you're listening. Thank you for tuning in. That's what we want to say. So, you guys, until next week, we hope that you can keep, keep it straight. straight.